Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 110. I've been here the whole time. This week, we're discussing the broader themes and character development of Series 7 of Doctor Who, as well as Season 2, Episode 2 of Angel, First Impressions. As always, we suggest that you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Doctor Who, Series 7. So, oh yeah. crap, I don't have any notes. Oh wait, we're using your notes. It's all good. <laughs> what just else kidding. is new? Just, just kidding. I knew that already. Um, <laughs> so... Uh, as usual with our season recaps, we, we usually kind of start out talking about our favorite episodes and, and we're going to kind of take a little bit different route. Cause usually we talk about like our favorite episodes and then go into like the broader theme discussion. But, but as we were talking, um, one sort of fortuitously, I guess, mm. uh, we, we picked, uh, different episodes from sort of the different parts of the season. So, mm-hmm. so we're kind of talking about how, this season because of the way in which the companions uh you know amy and rory they kind of leave mid-season and then you pick up with clara and there's a little overlap obviously with the song of the dialects but yeah lex but um you know that that it sort of creates a story split sort of Mm -hmm. a natural split in the seasons to talk about so um we each sort of picked episodes from the different sides of, yeah, or the different of the parts season, right? of that season. Um, so we're going to kind of use each of those episodes to talk about their respective half. Um, halves. Yeah. So uh, we'll start with mine, I guess. And uh, okay. which makes sense because it's my turn first of all, but also because I picked the earlier <laughs> of the yeah. two episodes. That's true. So that kind of worked out. Kind of worked out. Um, so I'm choosing as my favorite. So, and I know we weren't necessarily going to get to this later, but we were also talking <laughs> about how, like, there there aren't, I didn't feel like that there mm. were any really standout episodes this mm. season. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of brought up that this, this season is kind of known for that, or this series i know it's it's english yeah. so we we, we should be calling it series the series seven uh of doctor who is kind of known for not having any particularly high high points uh, but also not any particularly low low points so maybe right. on average it's still like just Somewhere as good as middle. like a season yeah, yeah. but like there's no like it, it's a much like smaller range of yeah emotional roller coastering i guess um yeah it doesn't uh i mean i guess we talked about maybe the rings of akaten is is the one that you could pick out as like a a disliked exception but but even that has its defenders you know um Mm. that's more like i would say that's that's one of my lesser 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 favorites yeah but i also Um, don't feel like it's as much of a stinker as maybe a few of the others that we've talked about in sure. other seasons. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, and, and again, I would put that more in the camp with like a love and monsters where it's polarizing. Like, yeah, some people dislike it, but some people really love it, you know, whereas, you know, we 
often come back to uh, the hate that something like Fear Her gets, which sure. like has very few defenders of any kind, you know, and I don't feel like there are any like that in the season. Like, um, right. like overall it's, it, and Moffat, this just occurred to me that I think it was around this time, Moffat kind of talking about how, um, you know, you, you do something long enough and you just get better and better at it. And, and it's like, you can kind of see, uh, the show and him as a showrunner just actually being more confident about what they're doing. Like mm. they know how to make a good episode of Dr. Who. So it's like, you can't really point to any one thing that it, it's not like there's nothing in here that would have uh, been like something in the first season where there's like, you know, aliens of London with like farting monsters. Like they're not going to make sure. any like, those like kind of rookie mistakes just don't happen anymore, sure. you know. But at the same time, or like letting a five-year-old design your or like exactly, or <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like now, I, those, don't, I don't know if the kid was five, but like a kid, a you kid, know? Like, yeah, yeah like, exactly. Like those kinds of like those are more the rookie mistakes of like it. It's so bad; it goes so far, you know. And and you just don't like you're way too competent for that yeah. now, but. So at the same, so it never really falls like flat in that same way. But at the same time, him also talking about how you think you're getting better and better, and at the same time, if you get too good at something, the audience starts to get a little bored. And they're sort of like, right. you know, so it's it like little, you turn in like you know one of these episodes that might have been a standout in season one. Suddenly, it's like, well, okay, so it's a really good episode. What else is new? It's actually not that special. You know, and it looks really good and it functions really well, but is it that exciting? And we can talk about, like, with, I think, um, I think, and this is what I really like about Moffat, is that he's always, he's so analytical, like, he's always reviewing what he's doing and learning from it and tweaking it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think in the 50th anniversary and over the Christmas special and then in the following season, he gets away from some of those old, like, uh, he gets a bit more experimental again, I guess. Okay. Like, maybe, and and maybe there's some risk in that, but also he's sort of like, this is the kind of comfort, like, doing what you do because it works, you know? Mm. And, like, that makes for a kind of a middling season, I think, and I think he kind of recognized that, um, you know, so... Well, and and you're also into your third season with yeah uh, with uh, Matt Smith as the doctor, yeah. so you're getting not just more comfortable making you know episodes, but also with making episodes with him, and so yes. it's it's a lot more tailored to him. But you're also like when you're you know maybe first starting out you know, with the new doctor, you're maybe willing to be more experimental because you don't know What's the attitudes yeah. and, and the ways that he's, that he as an actor is going mm-hmm. to excel in that role. But now you do. So you play to those strengths and you're maybe not as experimental as you were to begin with. So, right. you know, which the experimental can work both ways. It can work to, 
you know, you can be experimental and it can be like, whoa, that's different. And it's great. Like, I love that. Or, yeah. oh, that was different. That didn't work. I yeah. did not like that. <laughs> right. But <laughs> you know? at least, but it, but that's exciting. There's that right. kind of thing of ambition is good, even if right. it doesn't always, it's like, oh, they were going for something really cool. And I feel yeah. like that is the, as we go into the 50th anniversary, you know, and we talk about a show which has lasted, you know, 50 years more or less with gaps and everything, but um, a story that's been going for 50 years, that's the secret of the show is keep it moving. Don't let it ever settle or be complacent. Mm -hmm. And as soon as things start to get comfortable, that's when it's time to switch it up. You know, like right. as soon as you know how to do something, that's exactly when you should be venturing into some sort of new uncharted territory. And, you know, whether that's, I mean, that could be like getting a new doctor, getting a new companion, getting a new writer, or just a different way to tell a story or a different yeah. way to structure a season. Like there's all sorts of different yeah. ways to do that. You know, but, or even bringing back, you know, like reinventing an old, uh, you know, yeah. uh, enemy, which is right. something they've done as well, you know, so. Right. Um, and that they continue to do in this season with, with the intelligence. Um, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think. And I, I, you know, I wonder, I wonder how much, because we haven't really gotten like mid-season replacement companions mm -hmm. yet. So I also kind of wonder how much of it could be due to that. Um, yeah, you, mm -hmm. you know, like if there's like, cause you're kind of wrapping up one story, but you're also, and then you're also starting this new story, you know, so you're wrapping up with Amy and Rory, but you're also like starting with Clara and like, so the one it's like, you know, it's coming to an end. So it's going to mm -hmm. be a little bit slower and you're going to be kind of, again, maybe not doing anything extremely experimental there. Yeah. But then, like, the new story with Clara, like, I mean, sometimes it just takes time to, like, right. you know, move get into know, what that yeah. story is. And, yeah, get to know who she is and how, yeah. you know, how she's going to affect things and all of that. Um, and And it's clear, too, that obviously a lot of that was plotted out more. Like, I mean, I think the last several seasons, we, we kind of talked about one of the big differences between sort of the Davies and Moffat was that Moffat does seem to take a little more of that arc long mm -hmm. um, series, yeah. you know, series long arc type stuff. And so, I mean, w which is clear that he does that in this, you know, series as well, yeah. especially by having, you know, Asylum of the Daleks up early in the season right. and then, you know, like calling back to it as... Yeah you know, one of the, in, in the later episodes. So, you know, obviously that was sort of there all along, but mm -hmm. it takes time to develop that. And so like, I wonder like, because you're just having this long review, like you have, you know, uh, I think we even talked about it like in Buffy, like where, like you, you, you know, you have like a solid season, but it it's not like, I mean, I would, you know, we, we go back to like season three of Buffy as mm -hmm. being like sort of the, the best, like full on season, but like other seasons still have that, you know, long arc and kind of like can, stories can carry you through even yeah. some of the ones that are lesser yeah. well done or whatever. So I don't know. I'm, I feel like I'm maybe stumbling around a bit. So maybe we should talk specifics 
with mm-hmm. a couple of our episodes here, but um, definitely has that feel over. Like I like I like the story arcs in the season mm-hmm. uh, on in both ends of the wrap up of the Amy and Rory story and the beginning of the Clara story. Um, yeah, I you know I I like both of those, but there there definitely is you know an aspect of it's there's just not really one or two standout episodes. There's mm-hmm. a lot of decent episodes and, and, right. you know, we kind of chose what we're considering our favorites, but again, like, I don't know that these are the, like comparing them. I don't think they would stand against any of the favorites that we've picked for, for, I think you're, seasons. yeah, there's no like, yeah. Like, and that's what I was thinking too. Like there, there are a couple episodes that I would pick as personal standouts, but mm-hmm. I don't know that there's a blink in this season or, you know, or right. an empty child or, right. you know, um, you know, like you said, any of the others that we've picked in previous seasons would probably beat these two, just in terms of, like, quality of an individual episode. Um, right. right. And again, not that these are bad, you know, by any stretch. Like, they're certainly strong, but there aren't really any of those absolutely undisputed, like, yeah. cold classic types. Yeah. Um so, but okay. but we do have episodes that we yeah. like, so so we can... so yeah. So talking about that, we we've come up with our favorite episodes for the season, and so like I said, my is mine is in the first half. It's still in the Amy and Rory part mm-hmm. of the season, um, and I'm choosing a town called Mercy. Mm-hmm. Um, so why do I like this? Um. And I honestly don't even remember what I said about it. Like, I probably should have <laughs> yeah. gone back to, like, listen. Yeah, that's a while ago now. Um, you know, to, like, what I even said about it. So hopefully, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm okay with contradicting myself because, sure. you know, as as stories go on and as time goes on, like, sometimes you do go back and reassess things. So yeah. even if this is in contrary to everything I said about it back then, I, that's okay. I think I said nice thing. Like, I think I remember that I did overall like it story. But I think looking back on the season and looking at especially that first half of the season that mm. had, you know, the Amy and Rory um, yeah. stuff ending up. And like, I didn't know. I, I mean, one of the things about having them sort of leave mid season is I didn't know when it was happening and I right. kept anticipate trying to anticipate. I remember it, as I was yeah. watching those early episodes, cause I knew Clara was coming, right? But I didn't right. know when. And then we have that fake out with Asylum of the Daleks, where like she's there, but then and then she, yeah, then and then she's gone. She's again. not yeah. for like several, you know, a number of episodes. So, um, so you know, I think part of part of that was yeah, just like the tension of like is something going to happen to one or both of them in this episode or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, you know. So we talk about we we talked about how this is like you know the doctor does the genre so this is yeah the Amer- you know the doctor does the American western um you, you know type of thing um and that that was fun but I like I really like looking back on it the way and and not that it's the first time they've sort of talked about war and guilt and uh responsibility and Mm -hmm. you know uh 
well, mercy, you know, uh-huh. compassion and yeah. understanding, you know, and all of those other things that go along with it. Obviously, you know, we get that a lot with the 10th doctor and even, you know, with the ninth doctor yeah. and stuff. But, but I, I really, I really thought they did a good job with all of that. Like, I mean, obviously just the, you know, the name of the town and the episode and, um, yeah, you know, all, all of that had, had all of those overtones and, and kind of fits in with that sort of, you know, Southwestern, you know, uh, towns mm-hmm. that are, that are, you know, words or whatever, like mercy or, you know, whatever. Um, but I don't know. I just, just, you know, thinking back on it, like all of the, each of the sort of the three characters who are guilty in some way or the other thinking of, and, and I don't even remember their names, but thinking of the doctor, of mm-hmm. course, because he, whenever you think about war and death and guilt, like, of course, you have he, to he, he, he's, he's certainly part of all that. But yeah. then, you know, you have the, the, the guy who's, um, the doctor in the town and then you have yeah. like the bounty hunter. Right. So you have, you know, all of these connections between the three and I like that there's there is uh, you know that that they make it complex enough for each of their characters that they're all kind of right and they're all kind of wrong. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there you know there's definitely um you know, sort of the the comparison between them, but there's also the, like, they all kind of go too far one way with, you know, blaming each other. But then in the end, they do all kind of come around to realize, like, there's, like, I am being wrong and maybe, maybe I need not be so harsh about, you know, the way I'm acting towards, yeah, um, you know, these other and and it kind of circles around or whatever. Um, also, I like I like it because, I mean, not that it's certainly not the first time Amy and Rory have like an argument, but like when Amy comes out with the gun and stuff, mm-hmm. and you know is like ready to do her own killing and stuff. Like yeah. just I I like seeing. Not that I like seeing her in sort of a murderous mood but you know i do like i i did like sort of the the realism and and like you know the when it gets down to brass tacks kind of thing like you Mm -hmm. know there is a sort of fundamental difference of opinion that the two of them have and of course you know thinking back to the fact that rory is a nurse and so he's sort of siding you know with the side of let's be more merciful and compassionate and amy is always sort of the impulsive like just do what it takes to like save people, you know, kind of thing. And she's, you know, right. But very kind of doctorish in that way, you know, at the time. But there's also the like subversion of that too, of like, even though Amy is the one waving the gun around and being impulsive, it's her saying we should be merciful on the war criminal. And it's past. And it's like, pacifist nurse Rory who's saying I'm gonna let the doctor save us by killing this guy so there's like in some way like they are opposites but they're like opposites in opposite ways in a way you you know what I mean like in a way Rory in his in his passivity is colder than you know than Amy is even though she's the one like 
you know, pointing the gun at the doctor and everything. Yeah. So there's like a kind of weird subversion yeah. there. Yeah, no, you're right. Definitely, definitely that is the case as well. So, yeah. So I guess, like I said, I just sort of like it for its complexity. I like it for its, uh, you know, further. I mean, whenever we explore the depths of the doctor's guilt and, you mm -hmm. know, uh, compassion slash <laughs> lack of yeah. compassion sometimes you know like wh whichever yeah. way they're taking it yeah, yeah there's always there's always some good stuff to talk about and and yeah. i just i think i think it i think it was done well i think especially because when you have three characters like that who potentially could sort of become caricatures of each other mm -hmm. um because they have those sort of similar things but i think they do it really well and and kind of give each one um uh understandable and and uh believable you know sort of motives and and yeah. um reasons for why they ultimately each sort of change their minds throughout this the episode and stuff and yeah. sometimes change it back and forth a couple of times right um, you know right. here and there so i think i think it was it was well done that way and and you know who doesn't love a good western and nothing wrong with a good Western. Um, <laughs> just thought of the doctor. The, give me some tea. The strong stuff. Leave the bag in. Um, yeah, yeah. Like all the the doctor in a Western is not always the most impressive figure. But um, and I mean the thing also. I totally agree with you. Like for the reasons of. I also think that it does a really good job of showing not just doing the thing of comparing the doctor to the monsters cuz like you like you're right that they do do that fairly frequently but it does it with a fair amount of nuance you know maybe even mm -hmm. more so than usual that you know it actually takes the time to examine why you know why that is it like that's kind of an easy thing to say but you know to actually do that in a way that doesn't condemn anybody without actually looking at why they did what they did, you know, and mm -hmm. taking some time to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, and the other thing, too, um, which I feel like is easier to talk about now at the end of the season is the way it's kind of evolving that theme over time, you know, because um, in, like, there's kind of this continuum. Like you said, I mean, we've had the doctor talk about war since the first episode. So it's not like it's a new theme or a new idea, but you know, I feel like since, um, a good man goes to war in the last season, we've kind of had this idea of the doctor, um, as you know, on the one side of the coin, a war hero on the other side of the coin, a war criminal, you know, sort of depending on, Sure. Your point of view and and sure. this and this notion of the doctor as um a soldier that like that's what you know his name means in certain languages, you know, to be a doctor is to be a soldier or a warrior. And it's kind of, you know, advancing, you know, you think of like Rivers' words of warning in that episode about if you continue to act this way, what what is doctor going to end up meaning? Um so you get this episode, and then it kind of does, again, prefigure into the second half, um, and maybe this will lead into the episode I want to talk about. But but 
leading into the end of the season where we see what Trenzalore is, which is the doctor's mm. resting place after his final battle and him kind of dying amidst like this blood soaked, you know, sure. uh, cataclysmic, you know, war yeah. basically. Um, and again, we still don't know the nature of, uh, the extent of all of his actions. Um, and, uh, we don't know the nature of this John Hurt doctor either. Um, yeah who well, or what he well, might be, but, like, you know, I think it suffice to say that guilt seems to be a large part sure. of that dynamic, that, you know, that he's kind of identified as the doctor that, you know, he's the one that broke the promise, and, you know, um, the 11th doctor's sort of condemnation of this other incarnation. Um, yeah. Let, let, so, let's not get too far down that road because I, I still have stuff I want to say. That's fine. I just and <laughs> all, all I want to say that relates to a town called Mercy is the way that it furthers that idea and like is sure. like a point. So it not just only works as an episode, but it it continues things that have been building up and it continues to set things up for the future. I think so. Like I think in retrospect, it's even uh, more important than it seems. I mean, I think it seems important at the time, but to me, it even just further kind of bolsters up, you know, the overall story and everything. So, um, yeah, I like the way that it sort of does that. Yeah. Um. So one one of the other things that I I remembered liking about the episode um, is not so much with the story of it of you know, the characters and, and that kind of stuff, but also the, the sort of the frame narrative mm -hmm. that they use for it of the girl um, who, like, grows up and, and is sort of the one telling the story. Yeah. Um, and, and sort of the mytho mythological uh, implications yeah. of that, like, you know, that you're not quite sure if this is true or not. Um, but also, and, and, you know, going right back into you know, where you have sort of the complexity of the similarities between the three characters is how, you know, at the beginning you're thinking, oh, she's talking about the doctor, uh, you know, um, but then by the end you realize, oh, she's actually talking about this, yeah. you know, gunslinger cyborg right. guy who's protecting the town. So um, I really like that too, because one of the other things, you know, of this, season i think and and one yeah i mean we kind of threw a couple of potential episode titles around too was about around protection and saving mm -hmm. and you know that that that's another theme that comes up throughout um not just in actually being able to protect but also in not being able to protect and you yeah. get that obviously with the amy and rory story in angels of manhattan when you get to that point of oh we're all good and safe and made it out of the angels. And then all of a sudden, boom, they get sent back, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, there is that, there is that constant tension of, you know, the doctor does save a lot of people, but he can't save everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, so obviously in, in sort of, uh, you know, in, in a town called mercy, I mean, I, I like that, you know, you have that sort of, protection and stuff but um 
and, and you also have the failure because you have Collar Jax who ends up killing himself. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the end. So, you know, for whatever, you know, however you like that or don't like that, like there's still this, you know, sense of like, I mean, he was a criminal and he, mm-hmm. you know, he gets, he gets his comeuppance, I guess, mm-hmm. um, in a way, but also like you feel bad about it because he was sort of reformed as well and, mm-hmm. and all of that. And in the end, the doctor does both save the town, but also kind of fail in a way, yeah. you know, uh, by, by having, um, collar jacks, you know, by him, by his killing himself, the doctors has sort of failed to save him, you yeah. know, even though he's saved the town overall. So, um, yeah, you know, it those, has that kind of bittersweet ending. Of yeah, like, those sorts well, of... You, you, it, it's one of those times where it's like, okay, you won, but there's like a hollowness to the to the victory a bit. You know, like... Yeah, the pure victory yeah. sort of. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, I do, I do like that frame, both for the sort of fairy tale stuff, but also for the, you know, for that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, sort and, of, and as the, it's sort of fake, it's not really a fake out, but the sort of the, the changing perspective of yeah. what what they're actually talking about. Yeah, well, and a couple things, too. Um, I like that, too, as the pond era is winding down, the kind of Amy connections there of like a little girl with her sort of fairy tale story sure. and everything. Um, but also um, there's kind of a connection to like paternoster gang there of like the fake out is that you think it's the doctor that she's talking about and it's not it's the gunslinger but but you like this i like this idea that also you know again to connect to the end of the season it's not just who the doctor saves it's the lives that he changes for the better so it's not just you know a, a tally of of lives that are saved in the end but it's that now this gunslinger has been appointed protector of this town. So a life which he had kind of resigned to being just monstrous and only fit for violence. Now he has something, you know, positive to do and he has a job and he has people to protect. And, you know, you kind of, there's like this ripple effect of the doctor's sort of influence there, you know? So you think of like, he doesn't just, uh, you know, rescue uh, Vastra and Jenny and Strax, but they go on to do their own adventuring and and sure. investigations and save lives. And, you know, their lives aren't just saved, they're kind of changed for the better. Like, Strax becomes this reformed nurse instead of, you know, the kind of mindless clone warrior that he was before and everything. Sure. So, uh, you know, so I... I think A Town Called Mercy is really good at that, of showing both sides of that, that, like, the Doctor is, you know, responsible for terrible things, but he's also responsible for really good things, too. Um, and in some ways, he's, like, Collar Jex, but in some ways, he's, like, the gunslinger. Um, you know, and so, kind of, it's, n- nothing is too easy in the episode. Like, there's no real easy answers to anything. Mm-hmm. Um so I want so just to sort of finish out 
that conversation and, and like the first part of the season. Obviously, I mean, the big sad part here is the disappearance of Amy and Rory. Yeah. Um, but there's a one of the things that's that I find interesting and in, in sort of hindsight, too, is like, I mean, we did already see them sort of struggling with the decision of whether to keep, you know, traveling with the doctor or not keep traveling with the doctor or, you know, they're kind of taking longer and longer breaks mm-hmm. between traveling and like being okay with that, like yeah. sort of starting to enjoy the domestic life and that kind of thing. So we already sort of see them moving away from, from the doctor. And mm-hmm. um, when they do get sent back, like you realize that they're like, it's okay. We're happy being yeah. where we are. You know yeah. what I mean? So like, like there's also that bittersweetness of, mm-hmm. you know, not just, not just like, you know, the doctor, you know, is sometimes able to save or whatever, but like, even that, like in this instance, he didn't save them, but in a way he kind of did because they were already moving away mm-hmm. and they got to spend a good life together still, you know? So like, it wasn't, even though he failed in a way, like, yeah, they, they were also happy. So it wasn't like really a failure kind of, even though we yeah. sort of can understand why he feels guilty about it and, and that kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. Well, and, and I always, like we talked about this at the time that, tension even though it is sad there's that tension of kind of how the doctor views this which is kind of as a failure and as a death of like no amy don't go i'll never see you again don't do it and then but you can see that for all that amy is sad this isn't uh this is an easy choice for her and it's a Mm. positive choice you know and even the way river's saying like yes yes do it you know like you'll like you have to take the chance and you know right. this is the only way and for amy that being a kind of life-affirming choice of i'll go and be with rory you know so even though there's a sort of death there it's also there's something uh good about you know amy and rory like together like they should right. be you know right. that uniting of the pawns so right. it's sort of like it's bittersweet because it's like it's hard to know how to feel about it you know like mm-hmm. clearly this is the best decision for her and the right thing to do and they will be happy and live long lives but there's also that sadness you know sure. um and sure. you know and well and so so the thing i wanted to, to sort of connect that to, to that kind of connects it with clara then is that you know, obviously there's, there's some start and stop there. So like there's the Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowmen where you have mm-hmm. like different versions of Clara, which we are, you know, which later get explained. Yeah. Um, But you don't really know what's going on there. But then even when like in the Bells of St. John, when we like meet the Clara, like the original mm-hmm. Clara that we, which we come to learn is actually the original Clara. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, that, you know, the subsequent adventures of hers, it's not like Amy when she first jumps in the TARDIS and they go off on like Mm -hmm. all these sort of multiple adventures at a time, or even like, you know, Rose and, you know, Donna or whatever that like, once they make the decision to go in the TARDIS, it's like, they're in the TARDIS, they're living in the TARDIS, they're, you know, they're with the doctor and sort of constant companions. Uh, So you go from Amy and Rory who are kind of spending more and more time Mm -hmm. outside of the TARDIS to clara who's 
really hesitant to spend, you know, to just jump in and go away. Right. She kind of goes on this one adventure and then comes right back and it's like, yeah, okay, you know, give me some time and then let's do that again. And I guess eventually it sort of turns into a weekly thing, at least for her. Like we get, we, right. we get the understanding that for the doctor, it may not be in the same order that she's experiencing right, right. it, but you know, that's fine. I mean, obviously that's, it's not the first time like his relationship with River has always been out of order, yeah. you know, out of order. So that's, like nothing new per se, but the new the newness at least for this doctor does seem to be except for like the one off companions who never like fully right. jump in with him. Um, you know that you do have for the most part. You know most companions at the beginning are like yes, let's go, let's go travel, let's go do whatever. But this is you know Clara has a life away from the doctor and she doesn't right. want to give that up. She's not looking to run away from it she loves you know being a nanny for these kids that she's a nanny for and right. is enjoying her regular life too and is sort of treating this like a, okay well it, i guess it's wednesday night so it's not really like going out on the weekends but it's that same feel of like right. you know okay this is my break in the work week where i can go let loose have a little fun but i'm still working i'm still you know, doing this other stuff that I like yeah. to do. That's my normal life per se. So I find that interesting that there is sort of a parallel between those things. Uh, mm-hmm. And maybe Clara will get to the point. I mean, I like, w- you know, we'll talk about the name of the doctor because we're kind yeah. of left with the doctor holding her at the end and like, don't right. really know what's going on next. But, mm-hmm. um, so, like, maybe that, you know, maybe that'll get to that point where she's just spending all of her time in the TARDIS or something. But right. at least at the beginning here, it that's not the case. Like, she's not just looking to jump in and go away. And, and like, I kind of wonder, like, it's not a, it, it's sort of just, like, kind of mentioned offhand, but, mm-hmm. like, not explicitly addressed, like, as to why that's the case. Like, mm-hmm. why, you know she chooses that or why the doctor's okay with that. Like he doesn't seem to like be putting up a fight of like, no, either you come with me or you don't. And that's that's that. Like he seems to be okay with that. And maybe it's because he was sort of getting used to that with Amy and Rory already. Anyway, spending more time on his own and not necessarily having a constant companion. You know, she's a regular companion, but not a constant one. Mm -hmm. Like, like they were, um, and like others previously had been. Yeah. So anyway, I, th- I, I think that's interesting cause it's, it's something that's kind of new. I mean, it's yeah. not entirely new cause we saw it with Amy and Rory a little bit, but it was. No, but that's like an evolving thing. Yeah. 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 yeah so. And that's true. Like you do kind of in retrospect can see how Amy and Rory doing that primes you for, Mm-hmm. Clara so that it's not so weird when she starts you know it's it's sort of you've had a bit of time with, with this idea that okay companions don't necessarily have to live full time mm-hmm. um you know in the TARDIS itself um and and I would I'm I would be curious to know if that was the case with like the classic companions too if generally speaking they I were... think I think I could be wrong about this I think that this is new overall um mm-hmm. that again apart from like the the one-offs you know the ones that don't necessarily stay of mm-hmm. like the 
the full-time like main companions it it has it's always been a you've you're there all the time and then when you go you go you know and mm -hmm. and there's like a you know um and that would have been my guess but i just i don't think know that's enough. Yeah. i think that's true um and so yeah like definitely this is a kind of moffat innovation you know um and it's sort of it's sort of the moffat version of it it's not quite the same thing but it sort of has the same effect of like it was a total Russell T Davies innovation to get to know the companions families in any detail. Mm -hmm. Um, like that just was never, maybe they would mention their families before, but like, it certainly wasn't like, let's have Christmas dinner with Jackie and Mickey, like, you know, right. or, right. or have Wilf come in the TARDIS or all that kind of stuff. Like that just didn't happen. Um, right. that was like, you know, Davies saying, okay, we need to like, part of having fully rounded characters is having fully rounded family lives, you know? And I feel like in some ways Moffat has, in some ways he's stepped back from that. Um, not in all ways, because like with the ponds, you have their whole yeah. family unit being companions right. and you, you don't get to know, I mean, you get to know like, uh, Brian a bit. You really don't get to see much of Amy's family once they get, uh, right. brought, back you know restored um but i feel like this is kind of his version of that like mm. okay we're not necessarily getting to know uh the extended families all that well but we see like that they have lives outside of the tardis right. that they they it's not like rose where they drop everything it's it's we see that they have jobs and they right. you know uh have stuff that they're doing and they have like lives and ambitions outside yeah. i want to just travel with the doctor forever and ever you know right. um and yeah so it's not quite in some ways that's quite different because you have a more uh you know it's it's totally different to have companions who just drop everything to rush into the tardis and to have companions who balance the domestic and the fantastic together. So like in some ways they couldn't be more different, mm -hmm. but I think how it's similar is that it gives you a sense of a companion that has a real life, you mm -hmm. know, and has, you know, some rounded, you know, they have a history and they have other yeah. things that they think about that aren't just, they're not just there to be companions. They actually are fuller characters, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and I, I didn't really think about it till now, but that, that difference, you know, part of that difference is like, you know, what kind of whether they have a career or, you know, at least a long-term job or not, because like, yeah. like you get Rose who's, you know, I mean, she has a job, but it's, shop you know, girl, it's right? a shop It's not girl like a job. vocation. Like, yeah. It was, yeah. And it wasn't something like she was passionate about. Not right. to say that like, no. I mean, Shop Girl's a perfectly fine job if you enjoy doing that and whatever, but it, it was no. totally, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, it, it's just something that I'm doing for now kind of thing with yeah. her. And so she was totally fine giving it up and running in. Um, same, you know, with Martha, obviously like she was getting her doctorate. So like mm -hmm. whatever, but the implication there was that she could always return and finish her program, which right. she ended up doing. So it wasn't. And I like think even her... with even with Martha, you get the sense of a kind of 
overly stimulated, stifled life too, yeah. of like all work and taking care of this insane family that doesn't right. really right. leave any time for her. So there's still that same sense of, even though she's pursuing something she likes, there's still that same sense of like escape into the TARDIS. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. whether it's yeah. your shop girl life or your, you know, uh, doctor in training life, it's like, you got, I have to get out of here, you know, right. and, you know. Yeah. And I think the and, same thing with Donna, too. Well, that's, I was just going to say with Donna, I mean, like the whole sort of the funny thing with her was that she couldn't keep a job, right? Like, right. I mean, she, the one job where she did manage to keep it for a while was because the guy was priming like poisoning her. Poisoning her, you know, yeah. 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 Um, you know, so, you know, so you get that sense of like with her, it's just like, whatever, I'm just going to be attempt somewhere else, right. you know, in a few weeks kind of thing. So, yeah, there's there's a sense with all you know leading up to and and i would say even that's the same with amy like including in the amy beginning yeah in the yeah. beginning because you know she's doing like several odd jobs and you know dressing up as a as a singing telegram or you know yeah. whatever you know Instagram, doing all this yeah. kind of stuff but like whereas rory is really kind of the first one who's like i have a career i'm yeah. a nurse and that's what i want to be and i enjoy being a nurse and that and and like I like it because that's some of what plays into the tension in yeah. the early part of Amy and Rory's story of like Amy does kind of want to leave and flee and get away because yeah like I, I mean not to say that like like she I don't know that we ever get her explicitly saying that she's unhappy with her job per se but mm -hmm. you do get sort of the sense later like especially in like the episodes where like you find out that they've split apart or whatever, but like where she does sort of later find her calling mm -hmm. as like, you know, a designer and a model and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus Rory, who's always has like, he's more secure up front in like knowing what he wants to do. And yeah. stuff. so they're like, it's not until she sort of finds that, that she starts becoming okay with some of the domestic stuff and where they start moving into this new mode of, yeah only going into the TARDIS every now and then versus like sticking with it all the time. So, right. um, and I think, I think so that leading into Clara now you have someone, you know, who again is pretty happy with what she's doing. Like, yeah. you know, she enjoys being a nanny. She enjoys working with kids and, and you get that sense too, because that's like her position is like we talked about, you know, in the other instances where we see, like a splintered version of her, like they are in these caretaking sort of, uh -huh. you know, facilities. So like, yeah, you just get the sense that that's just part of who she is and her personality and that she enjoys doing. Yeah. Excuse me. Enjoys doing that sort of thing. So, so I, I, I like, I like that because it does get, it changes that dynamic in a way because you're not just like relying on that, oh, I'm so dissatisfied with my life and mm -hmm. here's the doctor to sort of rescue me from my mundane Right, it stops know, it from existence. getting too repetitive, yeah. It, it it changes it to say, oh, yes, traveling with the doctor is fun, but I am still like a fully functioning, mm -hmm. satisfied person with a decent job, <laughs> you know, you right. know, that kind of thing. So like, right. I, right. I like that there's that movement there. And yeah. Obviously, like, I don't know the rest of Clara's story yet. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I know that she's still involved with the show, at least somewhat at right. this so point. Right, like, so nobody entirety knows the of Clara's story. So nobody knows what the rest of that story. is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
you know, I think that's interesting. You know, it w- will be interesting to see how that continues Where it to goes, develop. Yeah. But um, I, I do like that they've kind of shifted that yeah. dynamic in there as as part of her. Well, story. and I think that's part of the aloofness that we see. I mean, part of it's just her personality of being someone who is a bit more independent and self sufficient and not as impressed. And and I think we talked about too how he comes looking for her. You know, so right. that changes it too because she's more on the defensive it's not Mm. she meets him and and goes crazy like the rest of them it's like he comes this weird guy knocking on her door and so like any reasonable person she's a little suspicious so that kind of right makes sense but also i think you're right like part of that is that she is a more fulfilled person maybe up front you know Mm. that um she wasn't looking for that escape in the same way um or at least wasn't kind of craving it in the same way that some of the others we've seen um in some ways it's more like she has to learn that um that kind of i guess love for the doctor rather than something that just sort of happens um on first meeting like it does Mm -hmm. for the others um yeah and if i can kind of shift into my favorite yeah. episode well you only um, have 10 minutes left only so. 10. <laughs> yeah i'll go quick well and <laughs> no that's, no that's we okay. can we can go over well and i was gonna say it's okay because i picked the name of the doctor so we did just talk about it so you know i don't you know, i have a couple extra things i think and one of them i wanted to say was um i i mean i i think the fact that clara gets a shorter introduction that she only gets this sort of 7B, you know, half a season. Um, in some ways, it doesn't do her any favors because you have less time to get to know her. Um, and, like, I know it took, I think, the audience a little longer to warm to her because I think because of that, like, you don't quite have the same amount of time. And, sure. um, you know, like, there's a little bit of awkwardness at first I think to the introducing her that way but in retrospect I kind of like the fact that it's a slower evolution that it isn't necessarily the same old you you know meet the doctor and your life changes overnight kind of thing that it's more of that gradual you know uh learning process and I I but I like the fact that I think you can see her get to that point at the end of the season you know like Mm after being more, uh, a little bit more reserved, um, I kind of like those steps that she takes in the name of the doctor to not, and this isn't to say that she's going to drop everything and live in the TARDIS, but at least emotionally she gets to that point where, you know, and I think because it's a gradual setup, you really believe it that, um, Mm. you know, when she sees how, uh, you know, unusually scared he is about going to Trenzalore, you know, she's there ready to go with him, you know, and, and him saying like, you know, there's no point in telling you not to come. And she's like, no, not really. Um, you know, and getting to the point where she is, you know, willing to what looks like sacrifice herself for him and for not just for him, but for like the whole of the universe, basically. Um, I think it, 
it pays off really well because she's not that way all the time and up front. She's not the most kind of emotional, you know, then when she kind of does get there, it's really powerful, I think, in the end. So, yeah. um, like, that that was the first time I remember feeling, like, really impressed by the character and by Jenna Coleman as an actress, too. Like, sure. okay, I see what she's capable of. Like, not that she wasn't used well up to this point, but I feel like she kind of hits a new level of, you know... Um, and... And I just feel like that's part of the companion, whether or not they live in the TARDIS all the time. I feel like for me to really love them, I have to kind of see that love for the doctor. And mm-hmm. that was sort of, I remember thinking like, okay, she just hit it. She got there for me, you know? And I don't think that's a mistake. I think that was a gradual sort of, you know, a sort of gradual thing that Moffat had her, you know, you know, sort of grow into naturally over the half of the season. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, and, and I, you know, I definitely think that's that, but that all makes sense to me. Like, I don't know that I thought about it quite that way, but I, I definitely can see where you're going with that. But I think too, that's, that's interesting because that, that is quite a risk. And so, you know, it, you know, we can talk about it being a middling season or whatever, but I think, you know, one of the things even before we started recording that I had said was that, like, even though there's not a standout episode per se mm-hmm. in this season, that I do really like the story, both the stories of the ending of Amy and mm-hmm. Rory, but also the beginning of, of uh, you know, Clara's story. And I think I think what you just said, like, probably is is one of those reasons, even though I didn't I wasn't quite able to put it in those terms. Like, I think that that all makes sense that it is because it's it's this different. It is sort of a slow burn kind of introduction. Yeah. And and you get this you get a different sense from her. And, And there is that. There is that sense of like she's definitely saying I'm doing this on my own terms. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I almost say, I, I don't mean this in a way to disparage other companions, although yeah. it probably will come across that way. Like she's kind of saying, I'm not, you know, some flighty woman who's just going to jump in your machine and, you know, sure. go off. Yeah. Um, I realized like after I thought that, that like that maybe sounds really bad and I don't mean that like, that it is a bad thing because i do i think it's perfectly fine to be that adventurous sort of let's let's go let's you know jump i mean i think that's one of the reasons we love rose or amy is that it is that kind of you know more kind of just emotional kind of gut response to something but Um, but i think we can admire clara's approach too and it's probably the in a way it's the more relatable like it's probably as much as I, you know, you say like, oh, I'd love the TARDIS to materialize in the backyard, probably I would be Clara. I would be like, okay, this is kind of strange. I'm not sure how I feel about it. And it might take you some time to sort of, you know, work out exactly what your reaction is to the situation. Um, Right. So, and, and I mean, we come to find out that she's really smart and that she is analytical in that kind of way. So it like, it all fits with her personality too. Like it, it doesn't feel, you know, like 
like she's being overly cautious per se or anything. It's right. it just that's who she is. She wants to take her time and understand things and, and figure them out. And that doesn't mean that she isn't adventurous or whatever, because clearly mm-hmm. she does go out and she, you know, enjoys doing that. But it's also uh, it's going to be on my terms and mm-hmm. I'm going to come back and it's going to be a week before you get to take me out in your TARDIS right, again right. and that kind of thing, you know. Um, and And there's also the there definitely is an, a romantic element developing between the two of them as well throughout the sure. half season that they're there. So I feel like sort of in concert with what you were saying of, you know, when she gets to that point of sacrificing, you know, her life or whatever for mm-hmm. the doctor, that there's also that element of it as well, that mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's definitely, you know, there's definitely a, a, uh, more mature romantic element than maybe other, mm-hmm. you know, other romantic elements that have happened previously yeah. Um, yeah. in Doctor Who. So, like, like it is that idea of, you know, we're adults and we're going to go out on our little date and then, right. you know, we'll spend some time apart and then we'll have another date and get to know each other right. a little better, right. you know, and it's then like, spend some time it's apart. Like, like, it's more like a courtship, you know? Yeah, like, yeah it kind of yeah. is. Like, it is It is more of the, yeah, that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, so I think, I think you're right. Like, I think that does definitely, you know, even though it might take a while. And I mean, I, I didn't dislike Clara right away, right. but I, I can understand why some people might think that it's, you know, that maybe she's not as fun or exciting or mm-hmm. likable even up front because it does take you a little longer to kind of really get to know her. Mm-hmm. But it's the I like that of, aspect too. It's the curse too because, of the introvert. <laughs> well, I like that because it's, yeah. it, 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 it is different and it like, Maybe And maybe that's why this season with having, especially in the second half, you know, having that more of an arc feel to it rather mm-hmm. than, you know, the individual episode pieces, you know, yeah. maybe that's why that works because yeah. you can, you are taking longer to develop that character, but that's okay. Like, mm-hmm. even though Doctor Who is more of an episodic show than, you know, some others, like, we are seeing some of that longer yeah. seasonal and longer character development type stuff going on. So I yeah. think that that's good. Yeah. Um, so there was, I had one other sorry. thing I wanted to bring up just about the finale yeah. too. Um, yeah. Which I, again, to go back to, I like that Moffat is constantly learning and reevaluating and trying new things and everything. I feel like, um, one of the reasons I think that the name of the Doctor really works as an episode is it kind of like, if you look at all of the, you know, we've talked about for the whole show how each season finale has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, like, mm. you, you know, and we've gone through them all, but starting from, you know, it's, Daleks are going to destroy the earth and then it's like Daleks and Cybermen are going to, you know, we're going to fall into a, you know, right. It's like a cross dimensional, like cross dimensional, you know, uh, other universe type thing. And then, you know, and then the, the master's going to like rewrite time and enslave the earth. And then the whole universe, you know, is like, you know, the reality bomb. And then, 
okay, all of time is going to die in the Big Bang. Right. And then, like, you know, in the Wedding of River Song, it's, you know, again, I mean, you, you can't get bigger than everything. So, again, it's everything is, you know, um, right. all of history um, is about to kind of collapse. Um, and, like, there is kind of the limit to how much big you can't get bigger than reality, you know? And, and I feel like with uh of all the finales i feel like the wedding of river song is probably the least successful like it's the one that not only does it take it from a two-parter to a single parter which it did for the first time hmm. it just it feels a bit too busy and rushed and crowded and they're trying to fit in so much and and it to me it didn't really have the emotional satisfaction that some of the other finales did and I think what I think Moffat intentionally did this one, and I think works really well, is he went really small. Like, in a, in some ways, everything is still at risk, but yeah. but that's sort of a it's sort of a byproduct. More, it's really the Doctor, you know, and it's yeah. so specifically about him and what's sure. going to happen to him, and you know, we have to go to like this one specific place and Clara has to do this one specific thing. And yes, all of everything does depend on that. But, you know, we don't try to bring in every character. Like, you know, if you think of like the Wedding of River Song, it includes like every character we've ever, you know, had in the sure. past two seasons. You know, like you have sure. like Churchill and, you know, you've got, uh, you know, the silence and, you know, cameos from dickens and dinosaurs and just right you know whereas that this one feels very intimate in a way um and i feel like it is a lot more successful for that not that i mean i like the other finales like i i don't it's not like you can't do a really good finale that is like huge and epic but um sure i kind of like and especially again leading into the 50th you know it feels very much like it's it's not just the doctor trying to save you know all of reality it's about the doctor specifically and kind of bringing in that focus um well and and so i mean the other thing of it is too is that with like other season finales for them i think they've all been it's been like season finale and then like a special or, you know, a couple of specials <laughs> or right. whatever. And yeah. then a new season right. and a new story. Whereas this, like, it is the season finale and very clearly, like, sort of ending Clara's introduction story. Mm -hmm. But you're also leaving it on a cliffhanger yeah. to continue the story, which yeah. I I don't think has been done, really, for a season finale. Yeah, other point. than, yeah. I mean, not in this way, I don't think. Like, they always leave those little kind of tags at the end, like you get a glimpse of the 10th Doctor or you get a glimpse of Donna, so you have a hint of what's coming. But yeah. this but this is different. This is definitely like a to-be-continued kind of, right. yeah. Right, Like, we, we know there's more to this story yeah. coming up. And, it, um, yeah, it's as much about setting you up for what's coming next as it is about closing right. out the season. Right. So, yeah, no, I definitely think that adds an element of, of the success to it because then you're at the end you're like 
I want to know more. I want to know yeah. more about. Yeah, it leaves John you on Hurt, that. And like, I want to know what's like. Yeah. Like they're in this limbo graveyard place. You know, mm-hmm. like what's gonna happen mm-hmm. next, kind of thing. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um. No, it's good. I mean, as much as we said there aren't any real like standout classics, I do think. There are strong episodes, and I think this is a really strong finale. Like, yeah. you know, I think it, uh, it does um, a lot. Like, pretty much everything it does, it does it really well. Like, it, you know, it, it just, it's a really strong finish. I think to the season. So, um, yeah. Um, you know, okay. So the other thing which isn't to do with like the overall season, but maybe we should spend a couple minutes on was we wanted to spend a couple more minutes on Neil Gaiman. Um, because I think you uh, had a yeah, couple extra thoughts and, and, you know, and this, so this yeah. is more of a side point, but. Um, yeah. Nothing, nothing too specific. I mean, I was, I was in, interested by the fact that um, when you were sort of choosing what your featured episode or favorite episode was going to be, uh, None of them were that, game. <laughs> that, that the well, the two that it came down to were not, you know, Neil his episode. Episodes, yeah. Which, which, just knowing you and knowing how much you like Neil Gaiman, sure. and I do too. Like I, I like a lot of his stuff too, and and the same is true of me. It was not his episode was not one that I considered for my favorite either. So yeah. I think we're both sort of in the same boat. But the. Uh, it was just it was more of a curiosity there and and when we were kind of talking about that a little bit you you kind of said that you know while while you've come you that that you sort of have come to appreciate it more uh after watching it i believe is what Mm -hmm. you said and that um like the first time you saw it you weren't all that thrilled but even even though you've come to appreciate it more like there's still not it's certainly no, you know, the doctor's wife. Um, yeah. And, and in some ways that stings more because you know, you're hoping for another, you know, what he's capable of. Yeah. 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 And, and so I think in talking about that and, and just sort of along with the conversation that we've had already around, you know, the quality and the types of stories, um, and you know the, the increasing quality of this. Ha, had we have I mentioned um, the the idea of the hedonic treadmill before? No, we talk but that about sounds that? great. <laughs> so there's a there's a psychological um, concept called the hedonic tread, treadmill. All right, and write uh, this down. Basically, basically, it's that idea of when you reach some sort of goal or you know achievement or whatever in your life mm-hmm. that obviously it's sad like you know you're driven to reach that and you reach it and you're happy mm. but then that becomes the new norm mm. and so you're you reach for something new and reach for something else and that that's sort of a natural part of humanity but there's also a sense in which that that's not always a good thing to always be reaching 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 like mm-hmm. there's there's sort of a a give and take there because you do want to have achievements and, and reach for stuff. But it, there's also a point where like that might also just 
be something that's constantly making you dissatisfied, mm -hmm. you know, by by that. So so the idea that the hedonic treadmill is that, yeah, you're just, you know, it keeps rolling around. You just keep coming back to that. Okay, I've reached this certain level, but now it needs to be better. And so, mm -hmm. you know, if Doctor Who episodes, if the writing is getting better and the, mm -hmm. you know, production's getting better and, you know, they're able to, you know, do all those things like we were talking about earlier of, you know, not making the newbie mistakes of farting right. aliens and that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. That, 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 that's why it becomes sort of blasé. And so you do need to kind of up the level. And I feel yeah. like this is one of those things where like, yeah, because you're expecting the doctor's wife. Yeah. Uh, and you get not the doctor's wife. Right. It feels like more of a failure than <laughs> it, it really is. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. And that's not to say that it's a bad episode. It, no. But yeah, like the, the feeling is that like, oh, there's something, you know, Nightmare and Silver. Yeah. I mean, I mean, hey, you know, love Warwick Davis. You know, yeah. there was some good stuff in it and some interesting stuff, you know, like the bringing of the kids in and, mm -hmm. you know, the return of the you know, sort of the, the newest iteration of the Cybermen and stuff. Like, like there's all a bunch of good elements there. And even right. the story itself is fine. But it's just not at that level of yeah. the Doctor's Wife where it's kind of weird and kind of different. And, yeah. well, and, and you and, get insight into a character that's kind of been there all along, but you've never had that insight yeah. into before. So, you know, all of the things that the Doctor's Wife was were not really in Nightmare and Silver. Those yeah. were all good elements and good, you know, a good mixing of those elements. You know, it, it was kind of a good recipe that put together, but it was a staple. It was, you know, it wasn't right. something new and fresh. And, and, and it, you know, and it's, it, it would be tough to follow up The Doctor's Wife because yeah. I feel like it, not only is it great, but it actually reaches like mythic levels, you know, like, like you're actually talking about not both in the sense of the mythology of the show, you know, mm -hmm. redefining the terms of what the show is. So it's mythic in that way, but also like, I think like genuinely mythic, like touching on something that is, you know, archetypal and like, there's actual, like the lines in there about, are people bigger on the inside and stuff like, sure. you know, it's like you're, you're reaching whole new levels of like profound insight there. Um, which, you know, it's a simple line, but it's a very, you know, there's kind of, there's kind of capital T truth in there, you know, whereas, so then it's not enough to just do a really good episode anymore. It's like, you know, um, which is on the one hand, not fair, you know, because, you know, not everybody is always going to, you know, reach that level every single time. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, it's Neil Gaiman, and it's hard not to hope for that, you know, when he, you know, comes in and writes an episode. Right. Um, you know, and that's true of his books, too. I mean, some work better than others. Um, sure. I think he's and written some, you know, really kind of fantastically mythic of. stuff and and yeah. some it's sort of like okay that was a good story you know so yeah um yeah i mean i think i was more disappointed with it on the first feeling i think i've warmed and come around a bit like you know uh it's certainly not a bad episode i don't think um 
but it did not. I think, I mean, for me, the name of the doctor gets closer to that mythic level, you know, um, you know, we're, we're talking about like higher stakes and deeper character stuff and redefining the terms of the show and what it can do and everything. Um, you know, as well as getting Clara to that next emotional point and everything. Um, and that's why for me, it, it sort of works a bit better, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, so, cool. um, we are going to go here, but let me just, uh, I am going to save, I'm going to save some of what I had put in here to talk about, but I do want to just talk about like series, the overall reception. Um, sure. it, it definitely, like I said, like the popular fan consensus is that this isn't the strongest season overall in the sense of the classic episodes, but you know, it certainly wasn't, uh, you know, it didn't do badly. It definitely got some acclaim. Um, the, the biggest one actually, I think is that in March of 2013, so just around the time that season seven B was starting, um, the show got a Peabody award, um, which is kind of a big deal in TV. It's like a, you know, they pick, you know, only like a few shows each year um and sort of there's no categories it's sort of just you get a peabody um and it's for kind of outstanding contributions like sort of a the tv equivalent of like a lifetime achievement kind of thing um and so it's sort of recognizing the quote which i pulled here that they said was that uh it received it for uh seemingly immortal, 50 years old and still running, this engaging, imaginative sci-fi fantasy series is awarded an institutional Peabody for evolving with technology and the times like nothing else in the known television universe. So, you know, as we're approaching the 50th, that seems like a timely sure. uh, time to sort of give it that award. Um, and then it also in this year got some other awards um like bbc radio teen award for best show ign people's choice uh season 7b got the national tv award for most popular drama uh tv quick best drama and outstanding contribution awards and a tric hd drama of the year um and it was nominated for some other things like a welsh bafta um for sound and editing visual effects um, uh, the music by, uh, Murray Gold, specifically for Asylum of the Daleks, um, mm. National TV Award for Most Popular Dramas, so that was season 7A, was nominated for that, um, Nickelodeon Kids' Choice, which I think is really significant that that's an American thing, you know, American kids sure. are nominating it and voting for it, so, um, that's a big change, I think, um, and a Saturn Award for Youth TV Series. Um, Matt Smith had some things as well. He was nominated for a national TV award in the first half of the season and one in the second half. Um, and then, uh, Jenna Coleman also won a glamor award in, uh, in her run and, uh, Karen Gillan, uh, got, um, a national TV award for drama, uh, in her last half season too. Um, 
And then I want to talk a bit more about the Hugos next time, but uh, I don't know if I mentioned that the name of the doctor was nominated for a Hugo this year. Um, but we have a bit more Hugo talk, so maybe I'll save that and we'll start there next time. Um, I think that's everything. So unless you have any other final thoughts on the season, we can sort of transition over to Angel here. Yeah, no, I think I think we've had everything. Um, obviously, we'll still be, be because of sort of what we talked about with the nature of how the uh, season finale ended, mm -hmm. in that it didn't really end. Yeah, <laughs> like we'll obviously be talking about stuff. I'm sure. Yes, and actually, um, we might as well mention this in recording in case people are like watching along. Um, I hate to say it, we're not going to go straight into the Day of the Doctor next time. We're going to wait one more week because I want to spend time on the sort of 50th bonus stuff because a lot of it is really, really good and I think worth talking about. So we're going to spend, in the next episode, we're going to talk about an adventure in space and time and the five-ish Doctors, um, which if anybody hasn't seen, please go watch it. You can get that online um, for free. And... We're also going to talk about the prequels, um, The Night of the Doctor and The Last Day, which are both on YouTube, I think. Um, so it's all pretty easily accessible. And I think all of it is juicy enough that we should get, you know, it's stuff I do not want to ignore. So um, we'll yeah. indulge in a bit more of that before we go. And then we'll go and do the 50th. So. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right. All right. So, Angel, switching where would you like gears. To begin? Where do I want to start? I want to start with Angel and Darla. Um, and we might come back to Angel later because he has a bit of interaction with, you know, Gunn and the other characters, but in some ways, not really. And that's kind of what I want to talk about is in some ways, his story in this episode is about not engaging with the other story yeah. you know it's sort of you know this uh it it's hinted at but never really addressed this idea that he's being kind of neglectful of you know his own crew i guess as it were hmm. um and uh you know we kind of learn gradually why that is or why that might be um but we start out with him in the karaoke bar again with the host mm -hmm. um and they're having some you know symbolic talk of about like his song choices and what they mean and you know um how to interpret you know the songs that he wants to sing and everything um you know and the host says uh you know saying of his singing you really put your heart into it question is what happens to it now and the angel says it and the host says, your heart, you big softy. It may not be beating, but it can still break. Um, and then we get this reveal of Darla in the bar with them. And they start dancing. And it kind of gradually comes over you or came over me that this is all a dream. Um, and seemingly not really happening. Um which is interesting because we've seen Darla restored, you know, to life by Wolfram and Hart, but we haven't 
got any hint that Angel or the others uh, know about that yet. So, you know, the kinds of questions I'm asking myself are, why is Angel dreaming this? I would assume or predict that she's kind of influencing somehow. Like, is she invading his dreams somehow? Or is he just sort of thinking about her? And it's all very weird. So, um, and the fact that this is presented as like a positive thing that in a way in their dreams, they have this sort of nice little loving relationship yeah. and no illusion is made to the fact of like either of them ever having like, uh, you know, abandoned or killed each other or like, you know, like there might be a little hints of it, but like, there's no, there's no sense of like, we're enemies. It's all this kind of, uh, happy, good times. It's kind of what it seems. Um, yeah. Which is not what, what I would have expected. So. Right. Um, so one thing, so like the very last scene is like Angel having another dream right. where Darla's like disrobing him and yes. climbing on top of him. And then it cuts to him in bed. In bed. And, and she's, she's really there. there. Yeah. She's actually there. So so I wanna I want so does that without like trying to lead you at all although it's kind of hard not to i guess like does that imply anything to you about the other dreams that he's having like did you did that make you think oh maybe she was there in those as well or 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 were you did did it not like do you not have well i mean i think they still seem to be dreams because, like, there's the time, like, I'm thinking of when he's dreaming with her and there's the tap, tap, tapping. And you realize it's Wesley, you know, mm-hmm. uh, nailing this coffin. And um, and it's bugging him. So he goes and attacks. And then it shifts into he's, like, you know, attacking Wesley for real. So, you know... I don't know. I mean, I guess you could read that as like in the sense of he's up and about. So the dream is maybe really happening and there's some sort of trance sleepwalking going on. But also it seems like there is a transition between sleeping angel and awake angel too. Um, sure. So, I mean, definitely I, I read it as somehow Darla is influencing and interfering with his you know, sure. Well, like so here's... whether or not she's physically there all the time, I don't know. But you know, she's well, definitely at work somehow. The the other thing that I I would go back to is Somnambulist, where um, mm-hmm. which you know just the very name is you know related right. to sleeping and dream, but where where you have Angel and Pen, who Angel was Pen sire. Um, you know, where you have dreams being affected by the things that Penn is doing, you right. know, is affecting Angel's dreams. 
Um, well, here, you know, we know that Darla is Angel's sire. Uh-huh. So, you know, there's definitely precedent for that yeah. sort of... What, I mean, so that last scene obviously implies that Darla clearly is doing something oh, particular. Yeah. yeah. But, like, even, even if she weren't, mm-hmm. like, there's still the potential because of the relationship that they had yeah. that, you know, there's, there's already sort of a mental link there, mm-hmm. you know, between, between the two of them because of that relationship. Although it's going the other way than it was in Somnambulist. So mm-hmm. here, you know, Angel is the one, yeah, you know, who's, who's the lower on the ladder there, but, yeah. um, but we do get a reference in Somnambulist too, a pen having had, you know, I don't remember if it was dreams exactly, but some awareness of Angel's existence okay. uh, still. So so there. I, that's all to just point out, you know, that like even even if we didn't get that hint at the end of, of Darla actually physically being there while Angel is dreaming. Yeah. Like there's still there's still potential of there being some sort of remote mm-hmm. connection, whether it's directly manipulation or not i Mm -hmm. guess is still sort of that question um and and there's nothing to say that like like we don't necessarily have evidence that she was there for the first like two dreams or whatever it it could be that they were sharing these dreams and then she goes and seeks him out or something but right it's interesting to note that there are like kind of warnings i guess so you get the phone ringing you get wesley knocking Mm -hmm. so like even in that instance it could be that she just was able to disappear before like wesley came in or something like like so there are these sort of things where like you can sort of explain it but it there's also a way to but it never really confirms she wasn't there so yeah yeah so like whatever and I actually, I had mentioned to you that I didn't really have any production notes, but I do want to actually interject one thing. I actually do have one uh, production note here because um, this episode we get uh, we get a new writer, um, and actually a fairly significant one. But uh, this is the first episode that we get from Sean Ryan, and I don't know if that name means anything to you. No. Uh, he is the creator of the show The Shield. Oh, okay. Uh, and and several other shows. Uh, and so he, but but he was a writer. Uh, I think he only wrote in the third season here of Angel. So he, it's not like he'll be throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. But he he has credits on like looks like one, two, three, four, five episodes this season. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then I think right when I think right after this is when he like created the shield. I don't remember when the shield aired, but it was like early two thousands when when okay. that mm-hmm. uh, started. Uh, two thousand two, it looks like. So we're in two thousand now. So we're yeah. You know, he he went on to basically create that show now. So just just throw that out there that we get this, you know, guy who's gone on to do and and he's done other shows too. Like he's yeah. been pretty pretty successful and. Um, they're all, you know, sort of cop related. Like mm-hmm. he's a former, I think he was a former cop and okay. everything too. So like, you know, they're all sort of 
cop related detective, you know, whatever type shows. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyway, just thought I'd mention that. Um, and actually him and Tim Minear have a, have one episode where they, they wrote together. Okay. Um, in one. So anyway, all of going back to that, I, I would just say like, yeah, like obviously we don't get a clear answer really. Um, but we do get evidence at least right there at the end that there definitely is like Darla's clearly doing something manipulative, like purposefully. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we know that she was brought back by Wolfram at heart. So there's an assumption, I guess that you could make that they're behind this. Um, Right you know, in some way, shape or right. form. We don't, we don't know what that might be at this point, but. Well, definitely. and, and that's, uh, the big thing to me is that how it's presented just sort of, um, you know, just sort of matter of factly without comment. Like it, it's not, um, angels haunted by dreams of, of Darla. It's like, Again, this is presented as a almost loving, positive relationship, you know, that like, um, and so like, there seems to be like a, you know, the question to me is to what extent is Angel aware of this or not? Because there keeps being all this reference throughout to him oversleeping and the fact that he's sleeping more than usual. And he even Mm -hmm. seems like eager to get back to the sleep. Like, like, you know, it seems like he's kind of in a rush to get there. Um, and you know, is that because, you know, which I wouldn't normally think that angel would want to linger over, you know, dreams of Darla necessarily, but so is he kind of aware of this and is sort of shrugging it off as just harmless fantasy or is mm. is he not fully kind of conscious of what's going on when he falls asleep, I guess? Um, and, I mean, that's kind of what it seems to me because, you know, there's there's lines in there like, you know, she's saying like, you know, you give and you give and who takes care of you? And he kind of pauses and goes, you do. And it's like... That doesn't seem like something a right. clear-minded angel would say. You like, I, right. you know, I, I don't think he would necessarily. You know, maybe uh, when she first sired him, angel would see her as this sort of caregiver. But I think angel's been kind of, you know, he's sobered up a bit since then. Like he definitely they didn't part on good terms and he doesn't see her as someone who takes care of him. Um, sure. And so the fact that he says that <laughs> is sort of like, you know, yeah, they, it, they parted on very good, not good, not terms. good terms, you know? <laughs> um, so like, I don't think it's just him indulging in a little harmless fantasizing in his sleep. You know, it seems like he's sort of not quite in his right mind is how it seems to me um yeah i i think that's a fair way to look at it i mean and it's it's hard to say i'll put it this way we don't get any evidence that when he's awake 
that he knows that he remembers this. that he yeah. remembers these dreams but it does seem like it seems to me it's like one of those things where it's like like there are certain conditions where like medical conditions or whatever where like you sleep mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily you're you're not rested even though you're sleeping yeah. you know what i mean like you don't get maybe the proper amount of REM sleep or whatever. Like, even though you're technically sleeping, Mm -hmm. you're not actually getting rested. You know what I mean? Like that there's, there's sort of a distinction there. And so you get that feeling like maybe that's what consciously is going on. I mean, maybe not though, because we don't get any counter evidence either. We don't, we don't know what he's aware of when he's awake. So. Yeah. Other than the sense of, He'd rather he be sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and the other thing that occurs to me, too, to kind of worry about is um, how kind of, which, and I'm sure this is part of why he's eager to get back there, whether he realizes it or not, how content he seems when he's with her. Um, dare I say blissfully happy. And, I, you know, and... They, and and there's reference, like, the host says, like, get these two love vamps a room and everything. And it's sort of, you know, whether that's Wolfram and Hart's plan, I don't know. But it seems like he's being lulled into this kind of happy, contented state. And we know that that is dangerous for Angel. Yeah. Um, well, we, I mean, we, I mean, it's not a big leap to, you know, think that that probably part of their plan like that we know we know that wolfram and hart specifically brought darla back right to target angel yeah Yeah. in some way and the story i mean you know sort of the implication is that maybe she would kill him Mm -hmm. but if she can turn him evil like that would be okay with them too i get the feel like not only like not only might that be just as good as killing him it might be preferable preferable because then maybe he becomes a client of theirs right, <laughs> you know right, what i mean like right. like maybe then they get more money because or maybe maybe then the good yeah. guys will dispatch him for you and then you don't have to you know yeah, even worry, yeah. So or there's, whatever there's potential many there, potential benefits it, but it, it, yeah it kind of feels like if Darla can be successful in one way or another, it's, it's a win, win, win situation for Wolfram and Hart. So, so all of those are possibilities. Um, And again, we don't know the exact plan, but I mean, certainly the implication of, you know, I agree, like, you know, who takes care of you? I do. So there's, there's definitely that, that sense of, yeah, like they're, you know, they're doing all, you know, relaxing things of, you know, yeah, dancing together and having a nice time and, you know, caritas or, you know, laying out. I, I love like they're like mooning themselves or, you know, right. not, like not out sunning by the pool. themselves, but right. they're out by the pool in the middle of the night, you know, uh, just yeah. having a nice chat, you know. And mooning, mooning. <laughs> they're not literally mooning like each other. Yeah. No, <laughs> that has a different, I, I didn't really think about the verb form of that, but, um, no, whatever but, the opposite but, of sunning is, you yeah. know, but there is, there is definitely even a progression to it, I would say. Cause yeah. like, you know, at first it's sort of like 
an early date kind of thing of like, oh, you know, we went to a karaoke bar and we'll dance together a little. And then next it's like, it's almost more vacation-y, like, you know, right. they're they're spending time together. And then, you know, the last one is explicitly intimate, you know, of right. she's naked in bed with him, like right. literally, you know, right. so, right. and and they're, you know, definitely moving along those lines. So, I mean, knowing knowing what we know about Angel and contentment and sex and all of that seems pretty clear where Darla's looking to take this. Right. Uh, and, and again, just knowing that she was brought back by Wolfram and Hart and knowing that they dislike Angel and they like evil and all of that. Like, I mean, it's, it's not a very big leap, yeah. <laughs> you know, to sort of suss all of that out and, and figure See out where this going. is going. So, yeah. Um, or at least where the intent is going, right. you know, would, right. would, where they would like to go. But, um, the, the other thing of course, is that in, in at least one of the dreams, and I, I don't remember if there are more, if there's more than one reference, whatever, but like, you know, before she says like, oh, who takes care of you? She's talking about the rest of the team and mm. how, you know, you give and you give and you give, right, you know, right. them everything. So there's, there's this sense of, she's also kind of, it's almost like, seems like it's a contingency plan of like, okay, if it doesn't work to make him content and turn him evil and all of that kind of thing, like she's still kind of sowing dissension between, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the things that the team does and, you know, Oh, did they thank you? Well, no, not really. Right, you know, right. and, and that kind of thing, especially when like a lot of, and I know we're going to talk about Gunn and Cordy and kind yeah. of their stuff too, but a lot of their tension too is around being thankful for, getting help and whatever. Right. And, and that's, you know, even at the end, Cordy's like, you know, Oh, where was that? Thank you. You know what I mean? You kind of get the sense that right. gun is thankful for, you know, her interference, um, even though right. sort of throughout the episode, he isn't generally, but, but you get that same thing with angel. It's like, Oh, well, you know, they don't even thank me like right. for saving them kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Like you, again, you get the sense that he's falling for it, at least in the dream right. of, of, you know, Oh, they just take, and he goes. I'm used to it. Like, like the thought had occurred to me that you know I'm always the one doing all the work, and you know whatever. Yeah. Um. Wait, but then, is... but then the irony of it, like that's exactly what he's not doing right. at the right now. Not yeah. that he, I'm he's done plenty of good deeds in the past, but like this episode is kind of about how he's not really there for gun when gun needs him that guns right. right that he's done all the favors that angels asked you know and he's asking for one and right angels sort of casual about it he's oversleeping he's not really taking it seriously and then they go and get their butts kicked you know by right by the bad guys and you know uh it i mean it's good on the one hand that it connects gun with cordy more but that's because angels sort of falling down on the job so you know as soon as he's feeling sort of entitled about what you know his team owes him that's exactly when he's sort of letting them down um and again probably because of you know whatever it is that like it seems like whether or not he is conscious of it darla's sort of dream visits are having sort of an effect in the daytime too. Like, you know, that 
they're kind of influencing his his thought and behavior a bit. Um, mm -hmm. You know, because he's not normally the kind to just not be there for his friends when they need him. Um, yeah. yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. So, speaking of his friends and how he's yes. not there. <laughs> uh, so, this is, in a way, I mean, in a way, this is kind of a gun central episode. Uh -huh. um, not quite as much as um, Warzone yeah. when we first sort of get to see him. But, yeah. uh, you know, this is this is definitely leaning that way. And, and of course, with Cordy, too, because for a lot of the episode, they're kind of together. Um, you know, which is always fun. I mean, that's one of the nice things about sort of ensemble shows is getting to mm -hmm. see different... Uh, uh, you know, connections and different yeah. combinations of characters as they kind of work through and get to know each other and stuff. So um, I will say that actually a lot of people seem not to like this episode. Mm. Um, I kind of I do, though. So, like, I mean, I, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Mm -hmm. um, there are definitely some... I I don't know that, like, the sort of ongoing awkward working girl uh monologue that she does <laughs> like it is kind of funny mm -hmm. but i think it's like a little protracted like mm -hmm. you could have probably cut it short a little bit and just been like oops i'm you know there goes my mouth again kind of thing but yeah. yeah i don't know i mean i guess i'd be interested definitely to hear kind of your take on on the two of them and and kind of the relationship that's sort of developing between them and, and how that goes. Cause, cause mm -hmm. just knowing that there are a number of people uh, that who actually don't like this episode and think it's kind of forced and, and whatever. Mm. Um, well, I don't know that I had thought about it quite that way. I can kind of see where they're coming from. Um, I mean, it didn't strike me as, I didn't come away feeling like uh, a a strong like dislike for the episode necessarily. Um sure. but Yeah, I mean I guess I feel like it's a fine first step. Like I'd be kind of interested to see a bit more um development and nuance like from like gun as we get to know him and like his relationships with the other like i feel like it's it is really the first episode where he gets to spend any time with anyone other than angel like you know um you know for more than like a scene or two um mm -hmm. you know and so maybe like if the criticism is that it's feels a little forced maybe the kind of like dislike that he has for like he's kind of a little bit like belligerent with the way that he deals with cordy and everything um like maybe more than is kind of reasonable like mm. she is just offering she is just trying to help and you know he kind of doesn't really seem to have a whole lot of reason to you know be as resistant as he is other than that she's kind of 
tagging along and being a little bit annoying, I guess. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of on the fence. Like, I'm not, I don't dislike what it did. I'm also not, like, hugely impressed. Like, I don't feel like, yeah, I don't feel like I have a whole new understanding of gun or, you know. Um, right. You know, I and... think I think you can see some development of Cordy there of of this greater willingness of her to kind of look after people and put herself out there and like sure. you know that kind of commitment she made to being um not just working for Angel but really being one of the team and that this is her mission now too to help right. people. Um right. so you see like when she tries to call Angel and Wesley and they don't pick up and her kind of resolve of, I guess I have to be the one to go do it, even though she knows she's maybe the least equipped to, to help her willingness to go do that. Um, and seeing that she's capable of doing that, like, right. Like, yeah, she makes silly mistakes, like hitting one of his friends on the head and everything, but also like, just the fact that she's willing to be there is a big part of it. And you see what she does with, um, like, saving the girl when she, yeah. you know, gets stabbed and everything. Like, you see that she actually is very capable. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and is that any worse than Angel killing a demon that was protecting a pregnant woman? You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. You know, yeah, like, absolutely not. You, you know, everyone kind yeah. of in the Buffyverse has made that yeah. sort of mistake. You know, so it's it's not even like... Well, and it wouldn't be believable for Cordy to suddenly be, you know, perfect at all of this anyway. You know, sure. it's she's doing the best she can. And that's the point, it seems, is that she's, it's that willingness to go out there even though she feels like she doesn't know, you know, that kind of, well, I'm going to die. Like, she knows she's <laughs> kind right. of probably going to make mistakes, and she does, and, but that's sort of, that's not the point. The point is that she's going to do it. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Maybe if there's a criticism, I don't know that the kind of snarky, bickering double act of Gunn and Cordy works as well as it might, you know? Um, mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that I ever quite understand why he's as irritated by her as he is um other than i mean other than the one thing i kind of can get behind is this idea that he asked angel for help and angel didn't really deliver so he's sort of pissed off you know like yeah so he doesn't really want anyone's help because he's sort of disappointed from the start um i, I do feel like i mean yeah definitely there is that but also like he shows up early you know what i mean like he he's like a half hour early right, so like right. It's not, like even that kind of thing is like doesn't whatever. even really I, count. I feel yeah. like compared with previous episodes we've seen, and like like the fact that like Gunn has been helpful, mm -hmm. you know, and sort of like amiable even in yeah. previous episodes, that that his the that the chip on his shoulder is inordinately big based on what we know uh, about him so far. Okay, so. I just had a thought, and tell me if you agree. This feels like um, a return to the gun in from Warzone when he was mm -hmm. very, like, intense and angry and focused and closed off. And then it felt like 
in the next ones, he was a little bit more fun. He was like still the kind of reckless daredevil, but had more of that, the chip on his shoulder, not in like a, you know, sort of angry way, but in a kind of like mm-hmm. daredevil kind of way, you know? And there was yeah. a little bit more like, like even just the way he messed with Wesley of like throwing the orb just to like, you know, you know, tease him and stuff like that. Um, and this feels like backtracking a bit, like, okay, we're, we're going back to more when he was sort of a little too sort of intense and angry. Um, and like, we'd almost moved past that. And like, I'm not quite sure why we're back to like, right. You know, that level of belligerence again. Um, whereas I kind of liked when he was a bit, uh, had a bit more of the the wild humor about him um mm-hmm. yeah and maybe yeah. it's just because this is the first like gun focused episode we've had since then so it feels like it's yeah you know backtracking yeah, and, i don't know right i just so like the the one the 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 scene that keeps popping into my mind that's sort of like the complete opposite of the gun we get here is when Angel, um, again, going back to, you know, when Angel's trying to help that pregnant woman, um, Uh and he gives Gunn, like, the medallion thing and asks him to, like, take it back to Wesley and whatever, and he's kind of in, he kind of goes in, but he's, like, joking around, like, messing with them, he's like, oh, yeah, I already know who you are, I'm Gunn, Angel sent me, like, you know, like, like, that kind of, like, it's, that's just such a very different gun at that point, like, it's almost like very nonchalant and like kind of messing around with them and, and yeah. joking and stuff. So I think to go from war zone to that, to back to, yeah, you know, angry gun and right. whatever. But I do think, I mean, I think there are hints in the episode too, where you get, you can sort of understand his frustration, you know, things aren't going well. Like, you know, yeah. people on his crew are, are taken off and, you know, going to parties and, yeah. you know, he is, uh, you know, he's getting two timed by, you know, this demon guy who, you know, he thinks he has an informant who backs out and like, yeah. you know, you get the sense that, I mean, the other thing is like, even, even in like, I I guess the thing, the thing that I, that I don't like is that, I mean, you can make explanations for why gun is this way, mm-hmm. but you have to do a lot of work to mm-hmm. get there. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's not, and and we sort of had this conversation a little bit about Lost recently okay. via Twitter yeah. uh-huh. <laughs> of like you know why why do you have to necessarily leave it up to the show to answer questions and uh-huh. and I think this would be an example of like maybe if one or two more questions or connections were made as uh-huh. to why he is the way he is, like it would be a little bit better and more mm-hmm. believable just as an episode. But because we've already kind of gotten him in, you know, moved his character in one certain direction. And now this feels like a reversion almost Mm -hmm. that that there's some stuff there that doesn't quite gel. And so maybe you you have, you know, again, you can sort of work to, like, figure it out yourself. Like, you know, he's obviously like with the mistake of calling Veronica Alana, you know, which was a sister who died. Right. You know, um not just who died, but who he had to kill because she turned right. into a vampire. Um, 
you know, you do get the sense that that's still sort of weighing on his mind and stuff. So yeah. like, again, you can sort of make those connections that because there's sort of things going badly, you know, with his crew and he does still have sort of the guilt of that weighing mm-hmm. on his mind and stuff, you can sort of understand why to some degree that he's that way. But again, it just feels so different than some yeah. of the other stuff that like, I feel like, again, you have to work harder to explain all that. But yeah, I feel um, like you could make a really good reconciliation of these two halves. Like the kind of uh, brooding, angry, you know, guilt-ridden half and the, like, fun, reckless, like, jokester half. You know, like, you could find a way to put them together and maybe they will, like, maybe those are his personality types and they find a way to marry them. But I don't know that this episode does that yet. Like, it's sort of Mm -hmm. like... Like, I kind of felt the jarring between Warzone and the next episode when we saw him. Like, oh gosh, he's totally gotten over what happened to his sister, like, in the space of an episode. But then here we've sort of, we still haven't reconciled those things. We've just sort of gone back to the first version. So I'll be interested to see, like, is there a way to marry those things together? Um, Because they both make sense. They just don't, they haven't really figured out a way to make them fit in one character yet. Um, like he has reason to be angry. Um, but we just, why is he sort of, like you said, nonchalant and joking around some episodes and kind of angry and pissed off other episodes. And we're not quite sure where, you know, why that difference is. Um, but I mean, I think the one thing that maybe does kind of cross that bridge is this idea of his sort of recklessness, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and like it does kind of end um, with Cordy sort of pointing that out to him about like Mm. that, that the whole thing is about she has this vision that she has to protect him and she keeps protecting him from you know, vampires and demons and things that he thinks he can handle. And, you know, the kind of revelation at the end is that it's not about that. It's about the way he lives and that he is a danger to himself. Um, You know, so, you know, I kind of like that it, even though maybe angry, uh, belligerent gun isn't as fun, at least the episode ends with Cordy kind of, calling that out a bit and saying like you have some changing that you need to do that you know this is not a good way to live and you're going to end up self-destructing if you keep going in this direction Mm -hmm. um so you know i like that it kind of ends on that note that like it gives the characters somewhere to sort of go um like I don't know that that means it makes the characterization more successful, but at least it kind of acknowledges like, okay, this is, these are his flaws. This is what he has to sort of contend with and work on. Um, So, you know, that kind of makes sense to me. And that sort of, that's stuff that's consistent from when, you know, in Warzone, that's basically what Alana is saying to him too, is like, you know, calling him out as this sort of, reckless leader who is sort of going to get other people in trouble because he always has to go in head first and, you know, not really think about what he's doing and always be this sort of 
you know, action hero and everything. Um, and how kind of dangerous that is. And it that's what ends up getting Alana killed and in trouble. So he is still kind of haunted by that. Um, so. Yeah. 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 Um, was there anything else about uh, Cordy? I mean, I do like that. I kind of talked about how I like that it continues that kind of development of her character into more of mm-hmm. this caregiving protector figure, even though she's not, Yeah, you know, and, oh. and the protection she provides, again, she's not the world's greatest fighter, but it is, that's not the only kind of protection. Like part of her protection is her insight and saying to Gunn, sure. here's what I see. And right. here's my sort of diagnosis. And she doesn't physically protect him, but just the idea of yeah. telling him what, you know what the vision is and how he how what he's doing is dangerous to himself yeah yeah his sort of recklessness yeah and 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 i think that's sort of the mature version of the cordy we've always known and loved as being like the one to speak out our mind the truth you know teller I mean? yeah like yeah, yeah this is you know like in buffy she was right like Spank she, your we've always, mop it and I get mean, over yeah. it and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked from the beginning how like she's certainly not stupid and and she is insightful, but it's sort of accidental and kind of like uh-huh. off the cuff or whatever. Like this is this is thoughtful, yeah. mature Cordy, like giving her, you know, giving actual advice rather than just sort of snarky, right. you know. Uh, things that happen to be true, <laughs> and it's um, and it's kind rather than mean. It's still yeah. truth, you know. Right. It's truth no matter what. But it's like you said, it's thoughtful and and she's doing it consciously for his own benefit, not just pointing out other people's flaws because they're obvious, right. you know. Right. Um, and the other thing I would think is that so you know obviously like you know, it's fun to see Cordy, like, grabbing an axe and running off to, like, save the boy, you right, know, like, right. that's yeah, yeah, yeah. sort of the, the, the anti-damsel in distress kind of thing. Yeah. But, um, the other thing that I think of when I think about, like, you know, Cordy and her willingness to, to jump in isn't the fighting, but, um, when Veronica gets the yeah. glass in her neck, yeah. Cordy immediately, you know, goes and gets a rag, like, you can imagine like season two Buffy Cordy being like, uh, I'm going to get my sweater all bloody. Right. Like right. there's nothing like, there's no question here. And yeah. this is even like of, of someone who clearly doesn't like Cordy from the start, right. from the second she sees her. Yeah. Like she just goes, gets a, you know, gets a rag, presses it there and doesn't even work. Like even later, there's no like, Oh, my sweater's all bloody. Like right. even after like she's in the hospital and stuff, there's no like call yeah. back to now. I mean, there is the funny moment in the, in the, you know, after they're fighting the vampires where she's like, Oh, I got, you know, grease on my jeans. But that was like, like, that's funny because it's in contrast to like all the guys being like, you know, my back hurts and right. like my shoulders right. not working right. You know, like stuff like, like that's like, it's right. for it's a humorous effect there. She stops caring about, 
she does care you about know. but like when it comes down to like actually like saving a life right. you know like right. there's no hesitation there's no oh i'm gonna get my shoes dirty or whatever like yeah she just goes down and helps her and saves her life and yeah. like i think that's that's definitely like i mean we've been watching cordy all along so i mean we know that she's sort of grown in those ways but yeah. i think it's good to sort of point out that she's continuing to like even be more mm -hmm. like more and more focused on there and i think you're right to point out like that sort of like she hasn't shied away i mean we're only a few episodes in but like she's clearly at least somewhat dedicated to you know what she was saying at the end of the first season about mm -hmm. you know i really understand now what i want to do and how i can help and and yeah. be a person who makes the world a better place kind of thing yeah um so so I, I like that. I like that about her. And I like, I like that. I mean, obviously we know that Gunn is going to kind of continue to be part of the team and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's not just like, I like that we're seeing that there's a need for that within the team and, mm -hmm. and, and not only with Gunn, like we're seeing with Angel, how, even how we talked about, he's sort of ignoring people. So like, that's going to have to be addressed at some point mm -hmm. because, <laughs> um, the team kind of is noticing at this point, but they yeah. haven't noticed yet that it's been a problem, I right. guess. Right. So like you can see sort of maybe things developing to, you know, where They're is headed that? towards a problem? Yeah. yeah. Where is yeah. that problem going to sort of come to a head? Yeah. So, yeah. um, definitely, definitely like all that stuff about her, but yeah. Um, Okay. Probably the other, I don't know that I have a lot about the other characters. I don't know if you wanted to talk any more about the demon, Divock. Uh, I mean, I don't or... really have a lot to say. He, I mean, you know, kind of a he's good... He's kind of secondary. Yeah, and kind of a good fake out that the the snitch turns out to yeah. be him and every... Like, I didn't see that coming. Like, it's an effective... You know, I don't know that there's a whole lot more to say about it. Um, no. Other than I, it's a I good mean, trick, but sort of the point of that is is that you know okay there's this demon in gun's neighborhood who's kind of pardon the pun gunning for gun mm -hmm. but but like it's really just i mean at least as reckless as gun is at least he realizes that he needs help with yeah. him yeah um but it like other than like a catalyst to sort of put him involved with the angel team again like i don't know that yeah the, the demon himself is all that important yeah um and kind of the same for Veronica. Like, I mean, she's sort of a catalyst, you know, again, to like... Yeah. Both to sort of show Gunn's recklessness, but mm -hmm. also to like give Cordy, you know, some ammunition to someone kind of to fire save. back yeah. at him. And, yeah. yeah, and someone to save him, whatever. Um, so, you know, treat that as you will. I do I do like the... It, it's very, It's kind of subtle, but I do like the, you know, like you have this house party and you wonder... You, you know, you might wonder, like, well, it's a house, so why can vampires come in? But mm. then you get that one line from the chop shop owner of, like, everyone's invited, <laughs> you know? Oh, like gosh, the, I didn't even catch that, but you're um, right, yeah. Like, he's like that, yeah. That's funny. The, you know, he's at a party, everyone's invited, yeah. and it's like, oh, well, there there you go. Uh, bad idea. Yeah, you should not have You should never invitation. invite everyone to your house, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows but, what kind of riffraff you'll get, but... Uh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a, I, I mean, I assume that's why they threw that line in there. Like yeah. why, you know, why, why else would you need that line? Yeah. But, yeah. 
Um, yeah. Yeah, they're sitting there. How can we justify these vampires bursting in? I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, unless, like, I mean, technically it could have been, like, an abandoned house where they just kind of all went right. at a party. But anyway. Um, and then David Nabbit. Uh, we get we get uh, another right. bit with him. Right, still um, desperate to fight evil, <laughs> and love... he can do so with his financial advice. You know, that's pretty I, much yeah. what he's good for. Um, and, and he he goes away kind of slightly bummed out. You know, still kind of trying to have fun, but you know, you can see he's a little still a little disappointed. Um, yeah, you know, the evil fighting yeah. business is not quite the. Oh. A little disappointed, but he's but like he's he's still pretty happy when he yeah, leaves. Like, yeah, like I love that. You know, he like just kind kind of turns around. And he's like, "Isn't this demon fighting cool?" Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's very yeah. He, like even though he didn't get really to slay do anything, demons, like yeah. he's still like, he's said, one he's of part the team. Of the yeah. <laughs> um, and and the cape and the sword are just yeah. hilarious. Um, it's kind of his. It, he's almost like demon hunter larp you know guy right exactly yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> not not real really there but um. well it's funny because uh that's a kind of a callback again to Warzone, where like that's where we first met him too and like yeah again the contrast between role player david nabbit who has fantasies of fighting demons but doesn't mm. really do it contrast with like gun you know who's in the trenches doing the actual demon fighting you know and how right. different their lives are you know and and yeah. how different their perspectives are on what that means um yeah yep you know well and and now that like cordy is doing more of like the actual fighting type stuff too you get you don't get sort of the reminders of like, we still need money to like sort of run the place. So right. it's like another way to kind of bring in, like there is a practical aspect to this all of like, right. we have to if, if buy this not, hotel not, and yeah. Yeah. If you're not financing it properly, then everything kind of goes to pot anyway, because mm. otherwise, how are you, how are you living and how are you, right. you know, paying for the building and all that kind of stuff. So, right. So th there is that sort of aspect too. Um, but yeah, like I mean, he's a obviously he's not in it very much, and that's that's whatever. But it's it is fun to sort of see him pop up again. Mm -hmm. Um, the last thing I guess uh, there's not a whole lot for Wesley, um, but there is his little pink helmet, um, which is <laughs> worth pointing out. And I it's very Wesley that he insists that Angel wear it because they don't want to get pulled over. So right. you know, um. Respect, and, and respect for the law is 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 the forefront in his mind. Well, but also, also making with, fun with, of Angel of it with with the grin that yeah. he kind of comes. Like you know that like like yes that is you know he is sort of the officious type. Yeah. But you also know that he's sort of playing on his officiousness yeah. to uh, just get Angel to wear a pink helmet. Right. Like there. Like I mean. short of you know maybe possibly falling off the bike and being decapitated like you know even if they got into an accident angel wouldn't He'll really be fine. get hurt yeah. you know i mean yeah. he would be hurt but like he would be fine because you know whatever but but the the i love that he's like 
he's like, well, if you're not wearing a helmet, we might get pulled over, and that would like yeah. that would that would slow us down. And it's like like he. Yes, again, he's just being overly officious, but you know that he's totally playing on that to just be able to make fun of Angel in the long run. So yeah. it's just kind of funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I mean, Wesley in this episode isn't isn't much. That's okay. We'll we'll talk more about Wesley elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, yeah, a few few lines here and there, but nothing too spectacular. So and they're all united in their love for Denzel Washington too, which is. <laughs> Yeah, that that's a great little a little when they're little sitting banter, with their, yeah. Yeah, when they're sitting there with the backs against the car and so yeah. it's, keep that, that's a fun little yeah, scene. Yeah, keep trying to change the subject, but it keeps going back to Yeah. you know, back to Denzel. So, um, so good stuff. I mean, like I said, like it's it's not really I mean, some people really don't like the episode at all. Sure. Um there I mean, there are people who just don't like Darla too, like mm. who, you know, as a character, but, you mean? Yeah, just as a character and as whatever. Um, but then I've also seen other reviews and comments and stuff where they say, like, they love the chemistry that Angel and Darla have in this episode mm-hmm. because, I mean, it's not... I mean, other than, like, flashbacks and stuff, again, like, this is the first time where we really see them, yeah, like, engaging very much at all, you know, except for the early parts of Buffy where right. like there's some right a little bit stuff. but yeah, yeah not but even, even there much. it's not like that much so and 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 another I mean this is certainly an example of like Darlo I think initially was supposed to be like killed off I think in the first episode of Buffy mm. and then Joss like wrote her to like keep her in but I mean she was still killed in the first season right yeah. like so yeah. early on. so i mean which was a short season anyway yeah, so like keeps bringing her back yeah yeah like so now you know now it's like yeah you keep bringing back and as you fill out angel's story you start to realize how much darla you know through the flashbacks how much darla was, was that influence on him and and yeah. all of that and so now to bring her back as like a current character in yeah. the show um well and i think it's easy to forget because it's I don't often think of it but she is the first character in the show like she is the first one we see yeah. so there is something again mythic about her like in right. the way she's kind of our introduction to the world and to vampires and what like she's yeah. the first of the, of what we see yeah. um and so, and so I think it's sorry. appropriate that she keep coming back and having kind of that gravitational pull on the story and everything. And, and it's, I mean, because we see the development of, you know, the angel Buffy love storyline, it's easy to think of that as like the big one, but you know, you have to remember that like angel and Darla were, this has been going on over a hundred years. Like, you know, I mean, there, there's definitely something way more connective between the two mm-hmm. of them than right. developed between Yeah, and Buffy I definitely and found Angel. the Darla stuff creepy. Um sure. Like, you know, for me I can see some of the problems in the gun storyline, but um but like that the contrast between the fact that we're Darla and Angel are acting as if this is just the nicest thing ever and in the back of my mind I know this is not going to be good. Right. I, that contrast works, you know, we're like, sure. you're playing it straight, but 
you know in the back of your mind like oh when this is all hell's gonna break loose i just don't know when or you know what that'll mean um you know so yeah i think the darla stuff seems to work um at least in this episode from what i can see mm -hmm. yeah well we will we will definitely get some more darla and Angel <laughs> stuff uh, I don't think it's that's a surprise to say, given the way the episode ended. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. All right. Well, but we won't get that next week because we'll be talking about Buffy. This is true. So. All, right. Cool. All right. Well, see you then. <laughs>